You're listening to the Streak Center Podcast. And welcome in, folks, to another edition of the Streak Center Podcast. I am your host, Noah Tluki, and back with us this week is Paul Raglau DeFranco, joining us for our third edition of this 2022-23 school year. Paul, great to have you back here, and uh, really happy you're able to join us. I appreciate it. I was able to do it last week, but it uh, kept me up at night. And I, you know, I thought to myself, I have to be able to get to this week. Had this episode, and I'm excited to be here with you, Noah. And go back and listen to our uh, other episodes, episodes one and two, where we inter- inter- uh, episode one we interviewed uh, three members of the women's soccer team. Last week, I was able to interview Allie Bartolone and Peyton Miazzi of the volleyball team. This week's guests are members of the football team, tight end Tadis Tatarunas and defensive tackle Nick Costanzo. So that'll be a, a little bit later in the program. Excellent interview where they talk about this season and uh, and and their both of their journeys as well, getting to John Carroll and 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 what they've gone through this season and in years past as well. So uh, really interesting. Looking forward uh, to that interview later on. But we're going to start off with football this week and coming off of a big twenty four seven victory against Ohio Northern in Ada, off to a five and one start, still undefeated in conference play. And, uh, and Paul, you know, I think some people might have thought, well, Ohio Northern's really down this year, and uh, the score maybe was a little closer than than some people would have thought, but it's always a tough drive out to Ada. Ohio Northern was playing really hungry. They're always a well-coached team every year with Dean Paul, the longest-tenured head coach in the OAC now, but the defense was able to step up big when it needed to, caused five turnovers, and, uh, and the offense got it done as well. Yeah, and... Kind of the interesting thing, especially about this year's Blue Street team, is when you start winning, you start to get to that that territory where you kind of sleepwalk through your schedule where you know you're facing an inferior opponent. And that's one of the toughest things to do as a coach is to have your team prepared every single day. And even as they talked about, you know, Nick and Tadis on the pod or on the interview we just had with them, they mentioned, you know, they weren't really pleased with how they came out. They kind of sleptwalked through that game. And I think that's a, you know, can open up the eyes because if you do that against Capital tomorrow, and they're going to be in trouble. So I like the way they responded. Their defense came up big, like you mentioned, with the five turnovers. And, I mean, you look at the score, 24-7, you got to be thinking, wow, seemed like a pretty pretty easy win for them. But, no, they know they can play a lot better and expect them to tomorrow. And defensively this season in OAC play, because if you minus the one, the week one loss to Washington Jefferson, they lost that one 35-26. If you minus that... They've only allowed 31 points in their last five games, all in the OAC. If I do the math correctly, that's average an average of 6.2 a game. That's 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 basically just a touchdown a game that they give up or two field goals, whatever way you want to think about it. So uh, I I gotta say it's it's been impressive to see, especially you know with the fact that uh, Coach Fanati retired after this year, and there was a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty as to who the next head coach would be. They decided to give the interim tag to Coach Drew Nystrom, which the uh, Tadas and uh, and Costanza will talk about a little bit later. Later, that whole process, um, and and really, it's it's it, Nystrom has done a really good job of of really getting his guys to play for him and really expanding on that culture of uh, what Fanati created. And, and, and it's a little different. There's some different elements to it, but different in a good way. And I think that's really what's what's helped lead, lead to this program's success so far this season. Yeah, I mean, he's a player's coach, and I really think that goes a long way with the players and makes you want to buy in to the program. And having this early success, I mean. The players know that, like, man, this guy has what it takes to take us, you know, to beat the Elise and win the OAC, you know, 
and that has to come with taking down Mount Union, which is coming up in a few weeks. But I'm really excited for the direction of this program. And like you mentioned, I always say defense wins championships, and they have just playing, been playing unbelievable football ever since really that opening week against a very good Washington and Jefferson school where they started 35 points. Um, they, the rest of the season, they've really just been locked down. And I think it comes down to, Nick talked about this defensive lineman, he talked about this, it comes down to fundamentals and tackling. And their ability to wrap up and not give up the big plays has been key to that defense this year. And uh, yeah, I got to say too, it's just been uh, overall really, really um, good to see. And and, and you, you talk about it too, Paul, with uh, with regards to the coaching staff. A lot of these guys on this team are ex players. Um, so especially like um, like Coach Nystrom, who he played um, on the offensive line at Bowling Green. Uh, I believe he even started there for a year um, in the late two thousands. You know, Jeff Long, defensive coordinator. Um, you know, played four years of college football at Wilkes University in our. Um, or Muhlenberg, Muhlenberg or Wilkes, one of those schools um, in Pennsylvania, Division Three. Matt Baker, former NFL quarterback for four years, you know. So yep. there's a lot of guys. Uh, Ulysses Hall, the new defensive line coach, four-year player in college, you know. So there's a lot of these guys I think that can relate to these players and and why a lot of them are, are have bought in and I think and and just being accountable too. I think that's that's a really big thing too. Um and, and just and it's really, really I think it's just really a work of art and beautiful really beautiful to see when when you look at it um from that perspective. But uh the Blue Streaks will be back in action on Saturday, October twenty second, one thirty start against the Capitol Comets who are winless in OAC play. Well really winless, yeah, zero uh, and six, zero and five in OAC play this season. But uh, this is a Capitol team that still is averaging about twenty points a game offensively, and uh, gave a, or scored two touchdowns against Mount Union last week. That's the most points Mount Union's given up all season to any team. So, you know, they do have a little bit of some offensive prowess to them. And, like, last year, the, the first play of the game, it was an interception return for a touchdown against JCU. Of course, JCU ended up winning big 38-7. But still, you know, this is a, a capital team that I'm sure will be hungry. And, uh, you know, coming up to University Ice to try to give a, uh, the Blue Streaks a good game. Yeah, but on the other end, Joe Collins. I mean, yeah. what a year he has had. You know, like they were talking about this. A little rusty to begin his career as QB, but all of a sudden, you're looking at the OAC standings. He is second in touchdowns, only behind Braxton Plunk, who has 22, Mount Union quarterback. Joe Collins is at 14, and then he's third in the league with uh, passing yardage at 1,266. So, yes, Capitol can bring it offensively, but Joe Collins is having a phenomenal year, and I think... John Carroll's going to be able to punch back at their offense. Very efficient quarterback as well. 67% of his passes have been completed this year, uh, which would be the uh, the John Carroll single season record if it if it keeps if it, you know if he keeps it up. That's that's an incredible statistic. I mean, I don't think people understand how much goes into the connection between the wide receivers and the quarterback play and Joe Collins and you know Brendan Few and all these great players. You know, and Tadas, the tight end, they've really built that connection, and that's the reason he got, you know, 66% completion percentage. After Capital, they'll head to Muskingum on Saturday, October 29th, and then the big game against Mount Union, the number three team in the country on Saturday, November 5th, in Alliance, and then they'll end the season on Senior Day against Otterbein on November 12th. And, of course, as we mentioned, we'll talk to Tadas and Nick Costanzo later on in the program. I want to move on to volleyball now. And, and volleyball, i got to say, coming off, uh, they lost 3-1 uh, to one to Otterbein on Wednesday. Really, really tough uh, in Westerville. However, they are coming off before that a huge, huge victory over Ohio Northern uh, in, in volleyball. Uh, this was back on Saturday, October 15th. They won that one 3-1. to one. 
And folks, this is the first time that the Blue Streaks have beaten the Polar Bears since 2001. It was also their first home win against ONU since 1994. So, because all those other wins before that were were in Ada, but. I got to say, in, in, you know, in my years of watching John Carroll volleyball, this is my fifth season. I've really paid attention closely to them. I've never seen them play a better game. Um, when you look at the way that they were able to, uh, they, well, first of all, just playing with confidence in general um, was, was number one. And, and the other two was um, being able to block. I think that was really key in that match because, uh, especially like Kendra Dubinsky, who had six blocks just by herself, and then there were others that, that added to that as well. But, um, you know, and it didn't really, and ONU only hit 12%, which is their lowest against any OAC team this season. Um, and this is, so from this perspective of beating Ohio Northern, this is, in my eyes, equivalent to like John Carroll being Mount Union in football. Yep. Um, this is, Ohio Northern has always been a powerhouse of the OAC. And like I said, you know, with that long losing streak, similar to John Carroll's back in 2016, they had the long losing streak against Mount. Um, very similar type of win, and I'm hoping this is this is a, a like a program defining win for for Coach Benoit in her sixth season here. Yeah, I mean, they, they they obviously they've had one of the best seasons under her so far. And you mentioned their ability to block. What about their ability to keep plays alive? Yeah. And I think you gotta give that to Peyton Miazzi. I mean, she's been injured the last couple of years. I talked about her on the last podcast, but she's diving all over the floor, keeping these plays alive. That is deflating for the opposing team. You know, spike after spike, and every single time John Carroll is returning them, and then eventually they set them up to the OAC kill leader in Cassie Kalamunchi at 295 to finish the job. But as you mentioned, Noah, this is an exciting team to watch, and they're going to make and put some damage into this into this playoffs coming up. Yeah, it's funny. I saw Peyton after the match against ONU, and her whole arms were just covered in bruises yeah. and, and bandages. I mean, she was diving. You're, you're right, Paul. She was diving all over the floor. And, and she'll, be, those... she'll have a bigger smile after the game. Than, yeah, she, than she did. She had a huge smile after the game. That, that, I've never seen for sure. with that much energy, and I'm, I honestly I envy it. <laughs> Paul wishes he had he had the same energy as uh, as the as the volleyball players. As uh, after every point, it seems like there's the mm-hmm. energy. The energy just fills the DiCarlo Center. Uh, one of the reasons why volleyball is is definitely one of my favorites to watch at at John Carroll. Uh, but Without uh, can't go without any notice. Um, you know, Cassie Kelmunsey, nineteen kills as well. Um, you know, not a career high for her, but yep. um, just still really uh, impressive, especially against a, a team like ONU to, to do it against them. And um, you know, the, and, and I think with John Carroll volleyball, like the sky's the limit for them. I mean, especially with that win against ONU, they know that they can play with the best. And I know it was a little bit of a setback with with the Otterbein match, and you know, three and three, just a, a five hundred record in in, in uh, conference play. But um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have a, a couple of big tests these last three matches in OEC play. Um, going to Capital on uh, Saturday, October twenty second. That's a one p.m. start. Then Mount Union will probably be uh, the biggest, probably the biggest match to close out um, the uh, the regular season. That's on Wednesday, October twenty sixth. That's at the DeCarlo Center, and then they'll have a quad match against Muskingum uh, on Saturday, October twenty ninth at uh, JCU. And then they'll end with a, a match against Kenyon. Uh, so they always end with like a one non-conference match a, a year, just a little bit before uh, OACs. But remember too, um, this year the OAC decided to just take the top six teams. So usually it's the top eight, and John Carroll has snuck in as like a seven or eight seed. But this year they're taking the top six. So John Carroll is going to have to win um, and take at least two of three, I think, to to even have a shot at that six seed. Yeah, I mean you might you could not have said it. 
better. After having that 10-game winning streak, losing four of their last five, they desperately need to win, not only for standings-wise, but desperately win two out of the next three just to get some confidence going into there. I mean, they couldn't be beaten when they had that 10-game streak. They hit a law, and now they're facing some adversity. How will they respond? They're the team filled with the high energy. You know, Cassie Kalamunchi, a lot of seniors on that team, graduate senior she is. So if they can take two out of three, that will be really be key going to the playoffs. Another interesting note, uh, Kalamunchi against ONU recorded her 1500th, 1500th career kill, which is third most in program history. Uh, only, yeah, only three. She's only the third player to ever have over 1500 kills. Uh, in a career as well, joining Beth Grzybowski and Stacy Mullaly, two John Carroll Hall of Famers as well. So it's a pretty good company, uh, fifth-year senior Cassie Kalmuncy has uh, in the kills department, that's for sure. All right, moving on now to men's soccer. And men's soccer took a tough fall against Ohio Northern uh, last Saturday, October 15th. They lost their first conference home match since 2015, 2-1 to the Polar Bears, uh, but they had a really nice win um, against Otterbein in Westerville on Wednesday, October 19th. Uh, they won 2-0, and that was really good because uh, Otterbein was up there in the top half of the OEC, just like uh, John Carroll and ONU, and and you know Otterbein, they've, they've played them real tough the last couple years, and, and being able to come out with a 2-0 victory, really good to see, but just an, an unfortunate Lost to uh, to ONU, they had a little bit of a power outage uh, during during yep. the game as well. Uh, but because uh, now, if if Ohio Northern wins out and the Blue Streaks win out, uh, ONU will have home field advantage for the playoffs. They will end up getting the one seed, um, which would be very you know it would it would determine a lot, especially come OEC playoffs, uh, which would be in two weeks from now. But uh, but Paul, I mean, this is still a really good John Carroll team. Um, just this is, a, but ONU is just a team that has been wanting to beat John Carroll for such a long time. I mean, you saw it in the celebrations after too. I mean, they you could just tell this was like their this was like their World Cup. Uh, you know, trying to trying to beat uh, the Blue Streaks. John Carroll is 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 the soccer team is the Alabama of OAC play. When the team beats Alabama, it is like winning the Super Bowl for that opposing team. You saw it with Tennessee this past week. Same thing here for Ohio Northern. But in similarity, look for Alabama to absolutely rebound and destroy Mississippi State tomorrow. Look what John Carroll did after he lost to Ohio Northern, their first OAC loss in what seems like forever. They come out and beat a really solid Otterbein team 2-0, one of the best played games of the year at Otterbein. I mean, that's just a sign of a great coach team. They come out and respond. But as you mentioned, yeah, if Ohio Northern wins out, they are going to have home field advantage. But even then, I think John Carroll will be prepared. But keep in mind, too, they maybe they're not as clean as they were last year, but they have a lot of incoming transfer students, and they're still building that that um, repertoire, the communication, you know, still trying to build that foundation with all these new transfer kids. So maybe if it's not this year, look out for next year when they all back. And they'll have that chemistry together. So, well, I think two of the transfers that have really stood out this year is Nick Felician and Steven Samuelson. Felician is like the striker; he's he's the kind of like the attack guy. Um, you know, he he uh, he actually scored the lone goal for John Carroll against ONU on Saturday, and that was uh, that was his first goal since the beginning of the season. So it was good good to see him find the back of the net. Um, you know, after uh, going goalless uh, for for a long stretch, but he started yeah. out the season I think with like three goals in his first four games or something yeah. like that. Um, but but I know it's uh, it's it, it is tough to get him going sometimes because a lot of teams do key in on him. But that opens up other you know other players on the team yeah. like um, you know other other guys uh, 
Patrick Koenig and and um, and some of these other guys that have been able to find the back of the net. Even uh, Nick Ruggiero, who did as well. Um, but and the other guy uh, Samuelson, as I mentioned, um, he's a defender. He transferred from Coastal Carolina. Felician was from Notre Dame College uh, up the street on Green Road, but a Coastal Carolina transfer and uh, really doing a great job defensively. I mean, anytime that ball comes in his zone, he is always uh, tapping that ball out of bounds or or and, and, or slide tackling or, or Not anything even that. like that. I mean- one of the hardest things to do, and I, when I back to when I played soccer, one of the hardest things to do is to defender. It's not only the easy thing. I mean, easy. I say it when I'm up at the booth, but it's just kick it out of bounds and reset. But he's been able to steal the ball and then work it up the the field and create something for their offense. So, yeah, as you mentioned, he's been doing an incredible job locking down that defense, helping out Jake Rogren, who, by the way, has the best goal against average in the OAC at point four five. So. He's only allowed five goals all season long as well. So uh, Jake Rogren really, really stepping up big. Uh, I know at the beginning of the year they were switching with him and and uh, Mower and yep. uh, Brandon Mower, but uh, they found their guy. Now. They found their guy in Vogren um, now, and uh, I know Dayan is really happy. Uh, Coach Dan, really happy with uh, his performance. That's for sure. Uh, men's soccer back in action in Columbus against Capital on Saturday, October 22nd at 1 p.m. And then two final, uh, the final two home matches of the season are against Mount Union and Muskingum. Muskingum Senior Night and Mount Union October 26th is the Wenzler's Warriors game, of course, uh, in tribute to the uh, 30-year sports information director at JCU who passed away two years ago, Chris Wenzler. Uh, they have done uh, more than almost any other team here at JCU to honor him, and uh, being able to have a game for him then uh, against Mount Union uh, will be very special. Um, that is for sure. All right, moving on to women's soccer, and uh, you know they started off the season with a with a really good winning record, and um, you know really good play uh, to start OAC play three and zero. They've taken some uh, hard fall the last couple games. Um, they lost to Baldwin Wallace four to one. Lost to ONU and Ada five zero, and uh, lost to Otterbein one nil. And I, but I gotta say though, at least the the Otterbein game, they seemed like they played better. Uh, you know, they they only gave up that one goal as I said. And Otterbein's definitely one of the the best teams in the OAC up there with like the the Ohio Northerns and uh, and and the Capitals as well. Unfortunately, you know, the better teams always find a way to win. I mean, I was on that game. I called that Otterbein game. John Carroll outplayed them for the majority of that match. They had three chances early in that game, all from Emily Patterzik. Had tremendous opportunities to score. One even hit the post, and they just couldn't capitalize. Another opportunity, they had a rebound chance. The goalie was out of position, could not finish, and those always come back to bite you. And, you know, they're a young team. They have some senior leadership. They have a young team. And they're still learning how to win those tight games in Otterbein, like you mentioned, one of the best teams in the OAC was able to get the job done in a close 1-0 game, but it'll be a learning experience for sure for this John Carroll team. And, you know, they, they had five wins in a row, but now they're kind of on a rut, lost the last three. So see if they can rebound. Kind of in a similar spot to volleyball. They're not as stacked as, as the volleyball team, but, of course, volleyball had that 10-game winning streak, and then they had hit a bit of a rut. But they were able to respond. Now, can John Carroll women's soccer do the same? We will find out uh, Saturday. It's going to be a big test because they'll uh, they'll play Capital at home, who's always always a challenge every year. Uh, that's at 7 p.m. at Don Shula Stadium, and then they'll hit the road for their final two matches uh, at Mount Union. That's another big test uh, in Alliance on Wednesday, October 26th, and then Muskingum in New Concord on Saturday, October 29th. 
to wrap up the regular season. Just like volleyball, soccer only takes the top six teams as well. So yeah. uh, Blue Streaks, uh, hopefully with their 3-3 three and three record, will be able to win a couple uh, here at the end uh, to try to sneak in there as uh, maybe a 5 or 6 seed. Mm-hmm. Um, so best of luck to uh, the Lady Blue Streaks. And, and then one more thing on them. they got to find a way to channel some offense. I know they're kind of yeah. relying on, on Emily Patterson to get the majority of the goals, but they need other players to step up and find a way to, to you know, to help out, you know, help out Mackenzie Stees a little bit. She's doing what she can in net, but when you're not scoring any goals, then that one or two goals given up will, will be the difference. So Remember to go check out our first episode we did this season. It was an interview that we did with Stees, yep. uh, Lauren Gummany, and Claire Holland, uh, all on the women's soccer team. Great interview uh, to start off the, the school year. So a couple weeks ago, go back to episode one and tune in. Next up now we have men's and women's cross country and they after a little bit of time off they raced this past weekend at the Interregional Rumble which is held every year at Oberlin and uh, the Interregional Rumble every year for both men's and women's serves as like a tune-up for OACs. This is a, against some good teams from around the region like Case Western, Carnegie Mellon and a couple of other OAC schools um, that they'll be running against at conference and uh, and the Blue Streak, the men's team, and, but the, like a lot of the uh, especially for the men's side, a lot of the star runners uh, like Alex Phillip and, and they didn't run. So uh, they got fourth place, but they didn't have their best runners out there. Uh, but they were led, uh, the men's side was led by Ryan Champa, uh, who ran at Nationals last year. Uh, he's a sophomore now. He got ninth place with a time of 25-22.6. Mac, uh, Matt Costanzo was second for the Blue Streaks in 29th overall. He had a 25-55 time, but he improved on his PR by 57 seconds. So really, really good performance there from the junior Costanzo, uh, you know, filling in for some injured guys as well. Joe Backus finishing in 32nd, and John Shoemaker uh, rounding out the top 50 for John Carroll. He finished in 41st place. And the women's side, they did very well winning the whole competition, and they were led by Sports Information Zone. Erica Esper, of course. Erica is a worker, a senior worker, really does a great job in our sports information department. Cameron Bujavich, who is a fifth-year senior and has been an All-American before in uh, in track, she came in in 11th. Morgan Edwards in 12th. Abby Schroff, freshman in 19th. And Jen Masucci, a senior now in 21st. Amanda Keim in 27th. Ellie Kitzmiller in 36th, Sarah Weldon, who ran at Nationals last year in 38th to round out the top 50 for JCU. So it's uh, really good to see that uh, Coach Kyle Basista and his crew are starting to uh, to ramp things up uh, as we uh, they'll have another week off this week before OACs, which is October 29th at the Angus Moorhead Farm, which is on the campus of Muskingum. So they have a whole uh, facility there with, I believe they have equestrian there and they do rifle and all that. And then that's like their cross-country facility as well. Yeah, Erica Asperger, she's a great personality. I hope as we get deeper into the OAC, OAC, or pardon me, into the cross-country year, we can have her on the podcast. If you ever get a chance to talk to her, she's a lot of fun, very kind, very open person. So she'll tell you about her experience. She's doing a phenomenal job uh, with that, with that women's cross country. Final sport to get to before we get to our interview with Tadis Tatarunas and Nick Costanzo. Men's golf, they finished up their 
fall season at the John DeSillo Memorial Tournament at Shaker Heights Country Club, which is about a mile away from John Carroll. That's their home course. They braved the tough weather. It rained a little bit, and it was really cold out. And, you know, golf is not as fun when it's when it's cold out. But uh, they got second place as a team, and uh, they played again. Uh, they, there were some teams there like Worcester and, and uh, Otterbein and, and some others. Otterbein ended up getting first place, but they're um, typically the, the best team of the OAC. This is a team that John Carroll battled with in the spring of last year to win the OAC during the spring, uh, yeah, during the spring season, uh, and of course the Memorial Tournament, uh, John DeSillo, it's named after uh, DeSillo, who was a longtime coach and administrator at John Carroll, passed away in 2016, and then he was inducted into the John Carroll Athletic Hall of Fame in 2019. But a very beloved fig- uh, figure at John Carroll, longtime uh, assistant men's golf coach as well as football and, and other sports as, as well. So um, always good to have his tournament uh, named after him and his uh, his granddaughters uh, used to work in sports information, uh, Carmen and Felice Ferrante. Um, so those were his two uh, his two granddaughters and his, his son, Dave DeSillo, was a former football player here in the 1980s. As well, and speaking of the 1980s, the Blue Streaks will actually be honoring uh, folks from the 1980s that played football at the game on Saturday against Capital. So, if you're listening and, and you're a member of one of those uh, one of those 80s teams, make sure to come out and support the Blue Streaks as they take on the Comets of Capital. Coming up next, our interview with Tadas Tatarunas and Nick Costanzo of the John Carroll football team. You don't want to miss this one, folks. Only on the Streak Center podcast. <laughs> Streak Center on jcusports.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Streak Center JCU to stay up to date on guests, episodes, and more. Now, let's get back to the show. And joining us now here on the Streak Center podcast are two football players here at John Carroll. We have tight end Tadis Tatarunas and defensive tackle Nick Costanzo. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, being here with you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's an honor. <laughs> well, I'm sure you guys are really, really loving this 5-1 and start to the season. 5-0 and in OAC play as well. Um, fresh off a 24-7 victory over Ohio Northern, five cause turnovers that you guys had on, on defense as well, Nick. Um, but uh, overall, I'm, I'm sure you guys just you know have to love this love this start right now. Yeah, um, you know I think a lot of it is a testament to the some of the leadership on the team. Um, you know, kind of looking at it from spring ball to now, you know, you see a lot of guys in my eyes or in Tadas's eyes, the younger guys. Uh, sort of step up into their their roles on the team, whether it be in their positions or, or in a leadership role. Um, I think that's a, a big testament to the to the start we've had. Yeah, he brings up a good point. Um, I would just say like we're finally getting to the point in the season where uh, all three sides of the ball are playing phenomenal football. Um, you know, the defense has been tremendous these past couple of weeks, and um, the offense has been good. Last week, we kind of had a little hic- hiccup, but um, we're moving in the right direction, and the special teams have just been awesome all year. And, um, you know, we just have guys that 
don't aren't really like the starters on offense or defense, but they fill those roles on special teams, and they've just been playing their hearts out and showing everybody that they should be on the field. So uh, it's been good to see like we're playing complete football right now. And now defensively, um, you you guys have only allowed thirty one points in OAC play this season, which is which is phenomenal in in in, in those five games. Um, and you, you guys really seem like offensive. Uh, all three gears, you guys have not really let your foot off the gas all all season long. Even in games where you guys are are, are winning by a lot of points, um, you know what's been the key to that this season? Uh, just not letting your foot off the gas and, and and really dominant effort level from all, even like the 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 third fourth stringers on this team. Yeah, I think I think the main testament to that is kind of the culture that the nation has been able to build with this team. Um, you know, this is definitely, in my five year, years here, the youngest team I've ever been a part of. Um, so we talked a lot about in the offseason, you know, potential is that sort of double-edged sword. Either you reach your potential or you kind of, or you don't. And, you know, right now, obviously, we're, I think, we're, we're starting to get there. But I think there's a lot more left in the tank. Um, but it's really just a testament to the to the younger guys that are, are stepping up into those, those new roles and doing their part. Yeah, I think culture was just spot on you know John Carroll football has always been known for their culture and just that we're we're going to be working harder than everyone else and it's a brotherhood here and uh, he's right like this has been one of the younger teams I've been on um, but it's it's cool because the older guys are taking the younger guys under their wings and uh, just making sure that they're on the right page and uh, it's been really cool to see like the relationships that have been developed um, but yeah we've just been playing great football and you know we're just going to try to keep the foot on the gas for as long as we can so and, and both you guys mentioned culture um, and I think that's a key word especially when it comes to uh, JCU football and you know of course you guys when you when you first started here at John Carroll you had coach Rick Fanati as as, as head coach and, and he decided to retire in the offseason Drew Nystrom comes in as, a, as the interim head coach for this season um, you know you, Fanati was such a culture guy you know he, he was really really big with that and, and the family aspect and all that it seems like it's been somewhat of a smooth transition to Nystrom being the head coach. Has has there been any sort of drop off at all, or has it been pretty pretty much the same? You know, uh, after Fanati. Um, yeah, I mean, I came to John Carroll because of Fanati. You know, he was just an unbelievable guy, guy you want to do anything for. Um, and when he left, it was a sad time. But I mean, Nystrom has just exceeded the expectations that I've had, and I mean, I can't. I can't thank him enough for being the guy who he is and uh, the way he's been leading. You know, it's different than how Fanati was, but it's different in a good way. You know, mm-hmm. he leads um, in a different in, in different examples, and uh, he's a guy that the players come around and. You know, it's like, okay, like, this guy is actually the real deal. Like, we can follow this guy. And he has great uh, speeches but pregame, uh, during game. And um, he lets you know it when you're messing up an assignment. And he holds everyone accountable, which has been awesome. Yeah. I, uh, the one thing, and this, this kind of this applies to both, both coaches. Um, the one thing I respect greatly about both of them is that they're very player-oriented coaches. Um, which I which I think is awesome. You know, I, I look back at, at spring ball, sort of when that transition happened. You know, it was kind of a gray area. Like guys weren't weren't really sure of what direction the team was going to go in, and, and this and that. And the one thing that I will give Nystrom all day, and it's one of the things I, I respect greatly about him, is that he went out and earned the respect of his players um, through a lot of the things that, that Tadis mentioned. Um, you know, he's just an exceptional leader of, of men. And another thing too that I really like, especially with the the theme of it being the hundredth season at JCU here. Um, you know the drawbacks to those those 
legacy teams, uh, so to speak, you know, uh, commemorating those. You know, we have a, somebody come in every Friday night after team dinner or before we eat, um, a previous player come in or a coach come in and, and, and address the team. So I think, you know, that's, that's something that guys really love about him is that he, um, you know, ties in those those previous or those previous teams and honors them, and it's he's very traditional um, and culture rich. What, was there anyone in particular uh, of all those talks, Nick or Tadis, um, that really stood out to you? Um, you know that what they said. You know, there was there was two two gentlemen. Uh, one is actually a coach on the staff, Coach Schroeder. Oh, um, yeah. But they played, you know, on those. Uh, those insane teams back in the early uh, 19, 1990s uh, with like London Fletcher and everything. So it was really cool to to see the perspective that they brought and to kind of shed a little bit more insight into the culture that those teams had. And um, you know that was that was really cool to me to, to hear about. I don't know if you have. Yeah, um, I, for, I forget his name, and I I should not forget his name, but um, he was on the two thousand two team uh, when they went to the play the final four. Mm-hmm. And and it was the weekend where uh, their whole class came back and they had like a little Hall of Fame induction. So they all came back and he was the captain on that team. Chris Kubero, the linebacker. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. And uh, he basically just had so much emotion when he was talking to us and just told us like straight up, like if you, you guys have the talent, you guys have the will to do whatever you guys want. And um, he definitely motivated us in a way where it was just like, okay, like, like we got to do this for the guys that played before us, and I think that was the Heidelberg week, and I feel like that was like the game that was our testament to how good we could be um, all year. You know, it's interesting too. That team faced a lot of adversity that year as well because Coach Tom Arth, you know, their star quarterback, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, great coach here as well. Um, you know, he he uh, he ended up getting hurt, uh, and he was out for a couple games. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they were still they were able to go undefeated during that stretch of games that that they lost. Uh, I remember uh, Chris uh, Cabrera was was telling me all about that how uh, how they really persevered through through all that. So that's really really good that he was able to share um, all that with you guys uh, during homecoming week. Um, but so a couple uh, individual questions for you guys uh, about your journeys uh, here to JCU, uh, Tadis. You started out as a quarterback. Uh, especially in high school at Menor mm-hmm. High School, which is about 30 minutes from, from yeah. John Carroll here. Uh, tremendous career, set the Division One uh, single game passing yards record and, and, and all that, and um, you know followed in some in, in some uh, some greats uh, footsteps. Bart Tansky, of course, Mitch Trubisky, mm-hmm. Jake Floria, former quarterback <laughs> here. Um, was it was quarterback a position that you always played, and it, it was just always something that you wanted to to play moving forward? Um, so. The reason why I played uh, quarterback, I was always like a linebacker when I was little, and it wasn't until middle school in seventh grade where actually my uncle, my uncle, uncle Bruno, he's like, "Hey, like, why don't you like play quarterback?" He's like, "Ah, like, I mean, I, I can't be a quarterback. I'm like the biggest kid on the team." <laughs> he's like, "Dude, like, give it a shot. Like, I can see you being a quarterback." And I did, and I was terrible. I was terrible in my middle school. Um, it wasn't until I got to high school where I had an awesome quarterback coach, Coach Janiak, um, and he's the one that's been the guy who's coached all those great men of quarterbacks in the past. Um, and he basically just changed my mechanics and got me into the right mindset to where I, I could have been the player that I am today. Um, but yeah, like, if quarterback was always the thing that I, I wanted to play, and that's why I wa- really wanted to play college football. Um, but I mean, some things happened, and you know, I. I'm not looking back, and 
and it's been fun ever since. So you started off at Walsh University in Canton. Yeah. Um, so 2018 was your first year uh, yeah. over there. Redshirted and played a little bit in 2019, but um, you know, just didn't seem like it worked out. Uh, and, and, yeah. you came, and you came to JCU. So what? You know, why was it um, that you decided on John Carroll to, to yeah. come to? Yeah, uh, I went to Walsh. Um, thought I had plans for myself and the team, and you know, things weren't looking to the way that I thought they were going to look like, and. Uh, that was the year when COVID was really like starting to happen, and we went home after that. And my dad was like, "Oh, like, like why don't like are you happy?" And I was just like, "I mean, not really." He's like, "Then why don't you leave? Like, why don't you go somewhere where you're actually going to be happy?" And he was like, "Why don't you come to John Carroll? You know, like, great, great academics, great football team. All your buddies are there. Like, why don't you make the move?" And you know, I was like, "Yeah, like you're probably right." And I made the move, and I've loved it ever since. Wish I could. Could have came here uh, to start my college career, um, but it's just been an awesome time, and I, I wish I was a man of Carroll sooner. And uh, so that spring season you mentioned, uh, you know the 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 year we played three games. Um, so you were quarterback the whole season, yeah, right. And then yeah. and then it was uh, during the fall season that you made this position change, yeah. right? So what was the uh, what was the whole reasoning behind uh, the switch to tight end? Yeah, so I came in as a quarterback, wanted to play quarterback here, and uh, Jake Floria was the guy. And um, I mean, he was a great quarterback. So it was just like, uh, like I was the backup with Joe. Me and Joe were the backups, and it was just like, you know what? Like I really want to play like I, I've I've been in college for three years and it's like I, I just want to play football and uh, I talked to the coach um, coach Baker was just always like hey like why don't you play tight end like play tight end I was like no nah, like I'm, I'm I want to play quarterback and then it wasn't until like the last week of um, fall camp before that fall season where I was just like you know what like Let's let's play tight end. Like I'm all in. I just want to play on the on the on the football field. And I mean, it's the that first year was very hard for me. You know, learning the techniques. Like mentally, I was good because I knew everything from playing the quarterback. I knew all the plays. Um, but it was just like learning those fundamental techniques and blocking and running routes. And I mean, now it's been awesome. I'm having so much so much more fun than I have um, last year, and it's been testament to that. It definitely seems like you're playing with a lot more confidence as well, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and the, bringing a lot more energy, and, and that's it's been really good to see, Tadis. Uh, Thank you. But uh, I, I want to ask you also, um, what are some of the ways that you think that you've developed uh, as a tight end uh, from year one to year two now? Yeah, uh, definitely physically. Uh, I gained 20 pounds over the summer, so I'm 245 now. Uh, so that really helps me with blocking um, and just being more compact on the football field and also just knowing how to step with blocking and just knowing those techniques. You know, last year I was kind of all over the place, didn't really know how to step with my feet inside zone, outside zone, stuff like that. And uh, this year I really like focused on that um, and just working with the tight ends coach and just working on my feet. And definitely like it's been helping me tremendously, you know, getting to the right spot where I need to. Now, uh, now Nick, um, you know, you of course are from Buffalo, uh, went to Mary, Maryville high school. Um, you know, you came in uh, 2018, uh, like Tadis, when you when you guys started college football. Um, you didn't really play a lot your first two years here, and then got in a lot more. Uh, you know that that spring season, and, and yeah. your career kind of took off from there at, at JCU. Um, you know what? I, I guess in that sense, what made you want to want to stick with it? You know, I feel like some athletes, it, it, you know, especially if you don't play your first couple years, it's you know. So what what made you get in that right mindset? Yeah. Um, 
So I'll, I'll start with sort of the team factors that, that sort of stuck with it. So I've always said, you know, like you alluded to, in those first couple of years, it was definitely tough. Like, I, I came in as a linebacker, believe it or not, a middle linebacker. Like, not, not an anchor, outside linebacker, like, middle linebacker. And, you know, that's what I played for, for pretty much my entire football career coming into college. Uh, played it throughout high school. And then about halfway through my freshman year, they were like, you know, we want to move you to the D-line. Originally, it was supposed to be like an outside linebacker spot. So went in, put in the uh, time in the weight room there, put on some weight, and then going into my sophomore year during camp, they were like, yeah, you know, we were graduating a lot of guys this year. We actually want to move you to interior defensive line. And, you know, that was definitely tough, but, you know, the things that, that sort of made me stay was uh, the biggest factor was the guys I had around me. Um, you know, the support I had uh, through whether it be my roommates or guys on the team and some of the guys I call my best friends today, you know, they were really the, the, the driving factor in what made me stay. And, you know, I was like, you know, I, I credit this to Fanati. You know, regardless of whether you're a starter in the rotation or not playing at all or you're on the scout team, there's always a role for you on this team. And leadership was something that I always prided myself on. And I always said, like, there's a role for me here, whether it's playing, whether it's being giving a good look on scout team. And that was definitely the uh, the thing that, that drove me in those early years when I wasn't playing as much. Um, and I knew I had it in me too. So I was like, just stick with it and... It, other thing too, like you come in as a high schooler um, to a top 15 program at the time, you know you're not going to see the field right away. It's just something you have to, to to know when you're coming into it. So I understood like my first couple of years it might be tough to see playing time, if any. You know what I mean? So that was definitely some of the driving factors and why I stuck with it. And looking back on it, forever grateful that I did. Especially with guys like Jimmy Thomas and and uh, Cal Reynolds well, and and, and it, all those guys too it coming was in, really yeah. Cool to, to learn like the guys I was behind were T. Fred and yeah. Connor Bowman. Oh yeah, and the D line, two yeah. just unbelievable football players, two unbelievable leaders, um, and that was really cool to you know be sort of learn from them and, and also Coach Wong and um, Coach Manillo uh, and you know Joe Schaefer was there at the time as our defensive coordinator. You know, being around those football minds, I mean, you know, I definitely was really, really cool to, to experience, even though I wasn't you know, playing. Talking with Tadis Tatarunas and Nick Costanzo, members of the JCU football team here on Streak Center. Uh, so, Nick, you had uh, well, you, we, you talk about your transition to the D line as well, and, and Coach Long, uh, now you know the defensive coordinator mm-hmm. uh, as well. But you know, started out as, as that D line coach, and uh, he just seems like it, it's not necessarily like rebuilding. With the D line, it's always just reloading every year. So, yeah. what is what are some of those keys that you know Coach Long brings to this defense, and, and especially with that with that defensive line that's been the heart and soul of, of his uh, during his time here? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is that you know the, the way that they're, you're taught when you're when you're a younger guy, essentially, whether it's scout team or if you're getting reps with uh, or in the actual game. Um, you know, he's just such a, a technically sound coach, and you know, we talk about all the crazy stunts that we have in and this and that, you know, it all goes into the fundamentals. It's learning the fundamentals of defensive line. And they basically throw away whatever you did in high school. And as soon as you're part of this team, you know, it sort of builds you from the ground up. Um, so I think that's something that, and he does that with pretty much all positions. And I think that's something that's super special and uh, something I credit to him a lot as a coach. 
Now, Nick, uh, this year uh, you had your first uh, your first and only sack of the season so far uh, against Marietta. Uh, I gotta say, and uh, that was an important one too because they were driving. They could have tied. I think they could have tied it or, or made it close at the half. And um, you came in, stripped the ball out, and Michael Palmer picked it up seventy seven yards and ran all the way for a touchdown just before the half. Um, you know, as as a defensive lineman, you know, seeing that ball on the field, did you just want to pick that up and run? Did you see Palmer coming <laughs> yeah, at I all? Saw or? Palmer okay, well, he was. I'm not gonna get <laughs> Too in depth the, the actual like blitz we ran there, but Mike did a great job making the quarterback step up, and you know he essentially set the play up for for me to make. And uh, you know credit to him. And after I saw the ball on the ground, I yeah of course I wanted to pick it up. I mean that's every defensive lineman's dream. <laughs> but you also got to realize he was closer to the ball, and uh, I don't know if I'm making it. However, what was it, 78 yards, 77 yards that he ran? I don't know if I'm making that. I don't think you are I either. Was, <laughs> no, when he was in the end zone, I was at like just past the 50-yard line. And I was, um, but no, I mean, it was it was definitely a great play, and I you know, want to make more of those for the team. And uh, speaking about making plays, um, it seems like you're you're like the real energy uh, energy uh, energizer bunny, I should say on this <laughs> on that D line. You 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 you're always making the guys go and, and, and all that. Uh, you know, where where did you like where did you get all this? Have you always been a player like this, or where did you get where did you get all that energy from? Uh, <laughs> I, without going too in depth, um, you know, honestly, it's it's just kind of the the culture we've built on the D line. You know, I mean, looking at the guys that. You know, playing last year, um, you know, guys like Kyle Allshafer, Daniel Garkar, um, Harrison Richardson. I mean, it, it really started with with those guys. Those were the ones that you know in the locker room we we were always messing around with, and um, you know it was just a great great thing to be a part of. And this year on the team, you know, you have some new guys stepping up. You got Big Ben Grafton playing right alongside me, Griffin Lydiard, um, you know, Bricker. I mean, he's quiet as he is, but you know, in the locker room, like we've always prided ourselves on being able to take the younger guys in and, and sort of make them feel part of something bigger than just a defensive line unit. Um, so I think that's that's sort of a lot where my energy comes from. And, um, you know, it's just I have so much respect for my teammates. Like, I, I feel like I owe it to them. And so I always try my best to, when, when things are tough, you know, like look at camp, for example. I mean, it gets, it gets rough during those times, like he, mentally, physically especially. Um, you know, I always try to be that guy that, that can bring the energy up and, you know, let's make today a great day. Like I know, I know your bodies are tired, especially week seven of the season. But you know, we want to be an elite defense. You can't take your foot off the gas. I, I gotta say too, Nick, um, when you play uh, during games, I noticed that you use about a whole stick of eye black on your, on your eyes. And uh, you look a lot like, I got to say, I, you know, I did an internship at the Hall of Fame this summer, and you look a lot like Hall of Famer John Randall out there because he used to wear all of that eye black as well. Is, is there a story behind why you so, wear all that? There isn't a particular story. Um, I actually, you know, alluding back to uh, Dan Garkar, we, I talked about doing it with him in the, the spring season, the COVID season, and sort of what it's, progressed into now it's it's almost like you know when I put that eye black on like it's go time like it's you know before games you can ask Todd I'm, I'm loose I'm, yeah. I'm joking around with the guys like just trying to do everything to sort of clear the mind so to speak when that eye black goes on and those pads come on I mean it's a different person like it, it, that's kind of what it symbolizes nowadays so Nick um back to the defensive line Urban Meyer I know you hate him but <laughs> he always says you can tell when a team is going to have success and when they're really going to win when the game, when their offensive line has pushed and penetration, but so mm-hmm. far the defensive line for you guys this year has been shutting opposing teams down. I'm sure that's the message that's spread throughout the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Can you like go into a little bit about how much you got to try to contain the run and just yeah. not allow much yeah. breathing room? So we actually got challenged very early on in camp 
um, we, I mean, the coaches sat us down and they were like, listen, right now our number one sort of weakness on the D-line from an internal aspect is stopping the run. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's definitely been a big point of emphasis with Coach Uhall with, with our, one of their indie drills at practice is stopping the run. And I think a big change that we've made this year as opposed to previous years was we used to be a read and react defensive line. So it wasn't just fire off and then react on the spot, which is what it is now. It was more of, you know, read the blocks as they're coming to you. Now it's attack it full on. And I think that's worked really out really well, kind of combining both aspects of things. Um, you know, it's funny, Ben, Ben Grafton always comes up to me before the game. And he's like, you know, especially when we're facing teams with a heavy run game plan, you know, he's like, it's going to fall on us. Like, we're yeah. lost. It's, it's going to fall on us. So we, that's kind of the mindset that we've, we, we've adapted to. And we've always prided ourselves in being able to stop the run. Yeah. I mean, speaking of stopping the run, you had eight tackles against Baldwin Wallace this year. When you get in kind of that rhythm early on, how much of a difference does that make, like for the rest of this, for the rest of the game? You know, so I I don't like to analyze d- defensive linemen, especially interiors, and like by stats and per- so to say, like, you know, I would gladly eat up double teams to allow Bricker or, or Griffin Lydiard or keep our linebackers free, you know, let Tyler Timmons have a field day. Um, but you know, kind of going back to when you're in a groove, you know, I always try to hit that every game, obviously, right? Um, but sometimes you have to understand if they're not running the ball up the middle, it's going to be tough to make those perimeter plays, especially from an interior perspective. Um, so I guess it just always goes back to you know doing my part. Like if I feel like I'm getting knocked back on the offensive line, like that's sort of the, the first indicator. And then from there, it's like let's go make a play now. Yeah, fair enough. And Todd, us back to you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're talking about that transition from QB to tight end. It's kind of ironic, you know, your whole career. It's, Trying to keep you safe, keep you upright from you know people like Nick who are trying to rip your head off. But then you go out and be the tight end, and your job is to go you know block and hit people, mm-hmm. and you know set up the run and passing game. Obviously, you've had quite a few receptions already this year. Um, how how did you adjust to that? Did you just want to right from the start go out and hit, or did it take you a little bit? To yeah, get going? yeah. I mean, um, quarterback and tight end are way two different yep. positions. Um, and with quarterback, you know, I had to have the type of personality and um, attitude where you know I had to be even keel the whole time you know I could never be too high never be too low and just stay calm throughout the game and you can't stay calm when you're supposed to be hitting people Um, so when I made the transition to tight end you know I had to bring more passion into it be more aggressive with it and you know I think like I'm, I'm usually I'm normally a passionate guy so for being a quarterback you know I, I really had to learn to try to be calm and calm cool collective so I feel like when I made the transition to tight end you know I was able to use my strengths that I've already had um, and put it into put into good use playing tight end yeah speaking of that you had what is it 15 catches for 161 yards so far this year mm-hmm. um, how did that be able to I mean it allowed you to open up the offense a lot more I mean you're looking to get more involved yeah. Go into more of that. Yeah, I mean, all the receptions and touchdowns are great, and uh, you know they're cool. But uh, for me, like I, I have the most satisfaction when our offense is all having success together as a unit. You know, whether it's I need to make a back block on a run, I need to be a decoy here on this route, or I'm basically doing something else that I need to be doing. Um, you know, I see, I, I get really satisfied when you know. Brendan Few is catching a touchdown pass. Evan McVay is scoring a rushing touchdown, and Joe is making these plays. Um, you know, so it's just me knowing my role, and you know, just being happy for the rest of the guys is so crucial to me. And it is kind of the perfect time 
like about how the game has changed over the years, like back in the 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, tight ends, you know, they would never see the ball. They'd just be a blocking yeah. for the run. But now it seems like it's the golden age for tight ends. Like I said, 15 catches already this year. I mean, it's the perfect time to transition, so it's got to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, tight end, I feel like, is like the perfect position. You know, you're in the run game, you're in the pass game, you're doing everything. And having a solid tight end that can be able to run routes um, as well as blocking guys who are much bigger than them and um, anybody on the field, um, you know, it's just so crucial for a quarterback to have have a guy and rely on him when they need to. You know, they're a big third down type of type of player, um, and they just are there whenever they – whenever. When stuff hits the fan, you can always rely on them. A couple more questions for both you guys. Um, Tadis, I know you, you talked a little bit about earlier about Coach Matt Baker um, becoming mm-hmm. the offensive coordinator this year. Um, you know, what have you seen in him, um, you know, that, that's made him, uh, you know, call call pretty good games so far this season and, and, and get you guys going offensively? Yeah, um, Coach Baker is a fiery guy when he wants to be, and I think his biggest strength is that he's just so intelligent on the football field and has had so much experience playing this game that he puts it into him being the coordinator and calling the plays. You know, he's, he's knowing what the defense is running, knowing what how to counteract what they're doing, and, you know, he's just done a phenomenal job in opening up the pass game as well as um, calling some runs and letting Nystrom uh, have his voice heard um, on the runs as well. You know, he's uh, Coach Baker has been awesome. You know, he's been uh, – a bear, he's been a guy where he's um, challenged guys on the offense. You know, he expects the most out of you, and he wants you to succeed more than anyone else. And uh, you know, he's just been a great motivator and a guy that'll just be like, "Hey, like we need you here, so um, you got to step up and make a play." And he's been awesome. And Nick, um, you know, and I always ask uh, the athletes that come on the show that have come back for another year. Um, you know, why why did you do it? You know, of course, this is this is your fifth year. Um, Last year, there was a lot more guys that decided to take the fifth year option. This, you know, this year not as many. Um, but you know, why was it for you that, that you wanted to come back for for year number five? Yeah, um, great question. That was something I, I contemplated a lot right after uh, last season, you know, after the Ball and Wallace game. Uh, but I, I think that there's two main reasons. One, you know, individually, like that was the first year that I ever really I got some true like playing time, right? Um, and I wanted to see what I could do with a full season of that to kind of reach you know my own potential. And then secondly, you know, seeing a, not a lot of those guys come back this year, you know, I was in a position where, you know, I was going to be a leader on the team. And, you know, I felt I was going to be letting guys down if, if they sort of lost that leadership. And I thought that there was some perspective that I could bring to the table. And that was, that was kind of the driving factor and why I um, stayed for a fifth year. Just uh, I want to get into a couple of uh, some a lighter note here uh, as we uh, as about or almost as we end here. Uh, Tadas, I saw you carrying a guitar around campus the other day. <laughs> yeah, you did. And uh, I want to know is this is this like a new hobby of yours that um, you get into? And Nick, do if you have any hobbies as well? Yeah, I mean, so my, in my friend group, like I feel like I'm the only friend that wasn't playing an instrument you know two of my best friends are in bands like they've been playing for forever um so it really the passion grew from there and in covid i had a lot of free time so i was just like you know what i might as well just try to try to pick pick the guitar learn the guitar a little bit and so my uh good buddy shoney uh let me gave me his old guitar and um during covid i would be playing it a little bit um put it down once i got to the part where i was like okay i need to play bar chords those are a little too hard for me and uh a, a great opportunity presented itself here. Um, uh, the guitar class for our Kappa 
Um, so I jumped right on board with that and used my prior knowledge in that class. And it's been an, a great way to get back into the guitar as well as actually having a professor where it's like teaching me instead of me just looking up videos of Marty music on YouTube and trying to learn. So uh, it's been awesome. Well, taught us. I'll have you know that from past experience, being a band nerd just gets you all the, all the ways, so <laughs> yeah. keep it up. Yeah. Right. The guitar yeah. is definitely a great tool. But, uh, I think you're leaving a big, big aspect of that out. What? Me, me and Tata share a common uh, music taste. We both love the, the, the classic rock. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> My eyes yeah. just lit up. Yeah. I'm a big oldies guy. So. Nice. Oh, you'll see every now and then, like when we uh, come back on buses, you know, I'll, I'll hop on the aux and, uh, you know, Little Led Zeppelin, little Pink Floyd, and wow. yeah. the first person to turn around and go, Costanzo, yes! yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we play a lot of that music here at uh, WJCU as oh, well. Nice. So <laughs> a lot, yeah. of, a lot of different rock Good shows to hear. And, and, and all that as well. But uh, still, too much Taylor Swift though. We're not, <laughs> not, not on WJCU though. But uh, <laughs> not yeah, Spotify blew <laughs> up yesterday. Old <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday was. Was terrible. Final question for you guys. Um, so, of course, only a couple more games left in this OAC season. Um, Capital on Saturday, Muskingum the week after, but the big game that I'm sure all of you guys have you know, circled on your calendars is the Mount Union game on, uh, on November 5th in Alliance. Uh, but really for the last couple weeks of this season, um, you know, what's it going to take um, to, to really compete with, compete with the best of the OAC in, in, in them? So, I'll say this. The only game circle in our calendar right now is Capital. That's, we, that's a good one. You know, yeah. that's that's a huge thing that we always, you know, we, the only opponent we have is the one we have the current week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I'll speak, you know, in terms of, of defense. Um, Long's been emphasizing. Coach Long's been emphasizing all season long. You know, potential, potential. Yeah. We, we put out. We we put a couple good string of games together here, but you know, we're not satisfied yet. And. Um, there, there's a lot left on the table for us that we can achieve as, as a unit. You know, really, really young group of, of guys on the defense. And, um, you know, I think for us, in, in order to reach that, it's just taking it week by week and, and focusing on the little things. I mean, that's essentially how you become a, a great team is you do a lot of little things perfectly. Um, you know, also emphasizing, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. And that, that's something that we pride ourselves on. And, um, you know, we, we, we take careful analysis of throughout the week. And um, yeah, that's really that's really how I think we're we're going to be a special special unit this year. Yeah, um, I mean, very similar how the offensive side of the ball is thinking about um, this season too. You know, our big game right now is Capital, um, and you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing. You know, as long as we're staying true to our our rules of tr- trust, relentless, and finishing. Um, you know, that's like what will get us over the hump in all facets of the game. Um, you know, uh, we're just looking at capital and we're taking it one week at a time. And our, our goal is to try to be the best offense in John Carroll history. And, you know, that's a our goal. And we got to be able to do that and how we play no matter who we play. Great answers from both you guys. But uh, Tadis Tatarunas, tight end here at John Carroll. Also Nick Costanzo, defensive tackle here uh, as well. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a pleasure to have you guys on. Oh, thank you for having us. It's yeah. an honor. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, it's been really fun. Congrats on the book. Oh, yeah. Congrats <laughs> on the book, Noah. Not, not mentioning it at all. <laughs> thank, thank you guys. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> You're listening to Streak Center on jcusports.com.
For the latest news on all things JCU Sports, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at JCU Sports, or visit jcusports.com. Now, let's get back to the show. And what a great interview that was with Tadas Tatarunas and Nick Costanzo of the football team, and, and really appreciated their, uh, you know, very well spoken people, and, and really appreciated learning about their journeys as well to John Carroll and how they've developed as players, and, and talking about the coaches and the, the transition between Coach Finati and now Coach Nystrom, and, and how uh, we've continued to build off of uh, the culture that Finati created, and uh, really, really good to see, um, you know, just that this program really running smooth. I, I really, have, I've always thought. You know, if, if John Carroll is having a really good football season, all of all of athletics benefits from this. All the other sports teams as well. So, uh, really good to see, especially after that big loss to um, Washington Jefferson at the beginning of the year. I mean, they have just been lights out ever since, and it's uh it's been beautiful. It's been a work of art, in, in my opinion, just to see like all of this just come to fruition. It's it just it, it makes you feel good as a fan to, to watch that as well. And it's kind of nerve wracking. Like after that first loss, I think everyone was like, "Uh oh, are we in for another rough season?" But they've totally flipped the switch, and no, I mean I know they have capital on another game after that. But that Mount Union game is going to be here closer than you think. You don't think all eyes are going to be on that game, so we'll really see how big of a step they took this year. I have a couple of notes to get to just before we close out uh, Streak Center here, uh, and this is this is a guy that I've been forgetting to mention the last couple weeks, uh, but I feel like I, I definitely should. Uh, so Marcelo Hernandez, he is the class of 2019 here at John Carroll, former member of the men's soccer team here. He is has gotten his big break uh, in comedy. He has always wanted to be a comedian, and he is now on Saturday Night Live. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, John Carroll Sports Information we put out a story about you know his journey here at JCU and and, and him playing soccer and, and and why he decided to pursue comedy. But finally, he's able to get a big break, and, and he has been on SNL. And, and he did a skit a couple weeks ago where he was talking about baseball and Aaron Judge and and like kind of like giving it a little Latino flair to it, I guess, because uh, Marcelo is Cuban and he's from Miami as well. So uh, that was oh my gosh, I was laughing uh, really loud actually when I, when I saw that uh, he was uh, on the Weekend Update uh, that section of. SNL that they do, and he he was like a guest on that, so that was uh, that was awesome to see. But he's he's a he's a John Carroll grad, like I said, class of 2019. I was able to do a TV club with him back in the day, and uh, he always was, uh, and and I could just tell from the beginning, the moment I met him, that he always wanted to do comedy. He always wanted to pursue that, and he was very serious. I mean, the reason he quit soccer. Uh, was because he was doing so many comedy shows, and he was going out downtown Cleveland and Lakewood, and some of these comedy bars and all that. And uh, he was just getting home really late, <laughs> and he he just he had to go to class the next day, you know. So he just could not do both soccer and that, um, and class as well. So he had to just kind of balance that. And and the the article talks way more about that. Um, but I know Dan Mladenovic, a head coach uh, for men's soccer, was really satisfied and, and really happy to hear that he finally made it on Saturday Night Live. And another note uh, as well. The uh, the John Carroll football record and fact book is now available and uh, it's it's online for purchase. It's fifty dollars um, and it it celebrates the hundred seasons of John Carroll football and uh, took two years to make uh, and uh, it's like I said fifty dollars and uh, it includes shipping and a ten dollar tax deductible donation 
to the Blue Gold Club as well. But there's over 200 full-color pages of everything John Carroll football-related, from team and individual statistics to an all-time roster, something that uh, we've never had here at JCU before. It consists about of about 2,800 names, an alphabetical list, and a numerical list of every player that's ever worn each number uh, in John Carroll history or who has played at JCU, so it was a it's a it's a wonderful book, and uh, I, I encourage everyone out there uh, if they can to to at least uh, buy a copy if they if they so please. And uh, like I said, it's a ten dollar donation as well to uh, the Blue Gold Club, and, and and really it's 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 a celebration of the of the men of Carroll um, that really has made John Carroll football and the and the program so special over the last hundred seasons. So um, so like I said, there's a link on jcusports.com and, and a whole story on that. Uh, as well, so really uh, looking forward to uh, to getting those copies out uh, to anyone who orders uh, shortly uh, in time for Christmas. Uh, it's kind of like how we've been marketing the book as a, as a Christmas book. So uh, really happy uh, at how it turned out, and uh, looking forward to, to getting those out before the Christmas season. Thank you again, folks, for tuning in to this edition of Streak Center Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Streak Center JCU. Also follow JCU Sports on Twitter at JCU Sports and look up uh, jcusports.com for all the latest updates on John Carroll Athletics and all the live stream links uh, as well. Of course, we live stream every single home game for John Carroll Athletics in just in less than a month already. We're already going to have basketball, and we're going to have wrestling. We're going to have that winter season coming in just as fall seasons are wrapping up. But thanks again, folks, for tuning in, and make sure to tune in next week only on the Streak Center Podcast.